0: And dad, you put the gum in your mouth, which is fine oh, wow. right now because he's setting up. Okay. But um, also, I can't hear it. So if if I don't hear it, if a tree drops in the woods, does it even right. exist?
1: Hey, let me just tell you this. <laughs> for all the shade you give your dad on the podcast for chewing gum, I've never noticed it.
0: Well, let me just tell you this. That is because my boyfriend is a sound engineer and is a wizard. <laughs> I'm Nikki Bond, and my absentee rock and roll dad has just recently come back into my life. So now I have to try and teach him how to be a father, because he has no clue. Oh my God, we are back today and next week. Maybe not, but the week after. Bobby is still going through his health problems with family, and so he is a lot more MIA than he was my whole life. No, I'm just joking. He's, he's doing his best. However, I don't know when we will record again, but this episode is a two-parter. And, you know, maybe just I'll record one of my mental breakdowns that I have when I don't have an episode every single week. But today we have a special guest, probably one of my new favorite people. And I hate when people say that when they meet someone and they're like, Oh my God, you're my new favorite person. I don't mean it that way. I mean, this guy saved the podcast in my eyes because Bobby's been going through a lot. He hasn't really been up for it. We've tried to record. He hasn't been able to do it. But when I sent him comedian Sandy Danto's stuff, he watched it. And he was like, yeah, I'll talk to this guy. So Sandy Danto is a paid regular at the comedy store, Hollywood improv, hilarious comedian, tours a bunch. And he has his own podcast, parenting podcast called MFers. My voice is all over the map. Guys, these LA wins are out of control. Who am I right now? A raspy, sexy bitch. Not really. That was okay. Back to Sandy. He uh, started this podcast when he was going to be a dad and he interviews aspiring parents, comedians, and gets advice on what it's going to be like, how to deal with the journey. It's really educational and hilarious. I highly recommend it. So I was on his podcast and found out that his dad, who was around his whole life, but kind of absent because of work, left 10 years ago for another woman. And is now being a good proper dad to that woman's kids, which is my biggest. Oh my god, I'm not crying. That was my voice again. <laughs> my biggest fear. I probably should do a retake, but you know what? I like it raw, I like it real. Just like this interview with Sandy.
2: Hey man, how you doing, Sandy?
1: I'm good, how are you?
2: Good. Have we met?
1: You guys haven't met. I don't met. know. No. Okay. No. I feel like I already know you from the podcast and the record. (laughs) And uh, it's cool to get to do this with you. Yeah. I listened to a good deal of uh, blood, sweat and tears records over the weekend to get myself pumped up. And a couple episodes of the podcast. Oh,
0: Oh, wow. Did his research. I listened to your podcast and it is, it's very interesting. To hear the progression. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So Sandy has a podcast uh, about parenting, oh. uh, about oh. being a dad, because he Very was cool. going to become a dad. And now uh, I the one episode that I listened to was the one with Ron Funches about his kid having Asperger's.
1: Crazy.
0: It's crazy. Yeah. Oh. Dad, the one part that got me on that episode was when he said that his kid ate mouse pads. And I, and you were like mouse pads, but like the, it was like a mouse pad, right? Like what you put your, like this.
1: Yeah. Like, what you, but, but it's, yeah. I haven't seen one of those in so long. I thought he meant like wee wee pads for pet mice. (laughs) Hmm. Um, why isn't
2: this not recording? Hold on one second.
0: Dad, Sandy had me on his podcast and Uh he revealed his relationship with his dad, that his dad was around his whole life but then I'll let you tell the story, but then left after 10 years and has a secret family. And I was like, you, I thought I had daddy issues, but I think you do. Wow. <laughs> so.
1: Yeah. Um, well, it, he didn't leave after, he left like 10 years ago. Sorry,
0: he left And 10 I was, years I'd ago, already yeah.
1: been out of the house for a while. Okay. But oh. yeah, I was like, he'd been in my life my whole life. And then when that happened, I was like, I realized I barely even know this guy and uh yeah and and I started listening to your podcast and, I, and I, I found similarities, but obviously just coming from different ends of the spectrum
0: what what was his job? what was kind of the lifestyle?
1: Very similar to Bobby's my dad was a uh, a podiatrist <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> wow
1: could prob couldn't be further from a drummer podiatrist.
2: That's good.
1: Um, but, um, you know, he'd work six days a week and come home, have dinner and go to bed, you know?
2: So Matt, you grew up in Canada. Me? Yes. You're Canadian.
1: No, no. I grew up in Detroit in the Detroit area. And I went to Canada quite a bit. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Are you, you're from Canada?
2: No. No. He's from Florida. So okay. I just got some curious questions. Go ahead. Just off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. When did you know you wanted to be a comedian?
1: I did a talent show at a all boys sports camp when I was like nine or 10. And I think, I and I did just like a comedy routine of pretending to be a nerdy kid at the camp and it killed, and I I knew ever since then I wanted to do it, but it took me midway through college to say, hey, everybody I've ever met, I think I'm so funny that mm. I should make money being funny.
2: Hey, so how, how old were you when you first did that at the camp?
1: Like nine. Wow. Nine yeah.
2: Jesus, man, that's younger than Dave Chappelle. Dave but
1: Chappelle's- I wasn't like doing it regularly after that. I think he oh. started when he was like 14 and he was like, right. Right. You know, yeah. nose to the grindstone.
2: Yeah, man. So then what happened?
1: You know, I was like the class clown and uh got into drama at school and then discovered pot around 13. So I stopped being involved in extracurricular activities and started really at-
0: it had that this- much of an effect on you, the pot.
1: It wasn't like Uh, uh, like a a cautionary tale, like, oh, these kids, they start smoking pot and then they stop doing extracurricular activities. It was more like my interests shifted from like being around like-minded kids. Like I just wanted to be around instead of kids that wanted to do monologues I was around kids that wanted to listen to guitar solos
0: I get I feel the same way about acting now like it's the exact same thing it being you know theater kids acting kids but it's like I still want my regular friends that party and we just shoot the shit
1: right and like I had a similar thing when I started comedy because I started out doing improv and sketch and yeah I just didn't feel at home with those people as much.
0: I went through that too.
1: And like I, the, the improv people? Yeah, like I just didn't feel like I had the same sort of comedy sensibilities, and um, I didn't think the same things. They were always on, mm-hmm. and it, I was just like, wait, can we have like a serious conversation for two yeah. minutes? Yeah. And it was laborious trying to get that to happen. Well-
0: And dad, I'm sure you can relate to that from playing on Broadway, right? You've been around those kinds of personalities too.
2: Yeah. I can't even watch a Broadway show. I couldn't, I was never into Broadway
1: ever, ever. A good gig is a good gig.
2: That's that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, So when did you, were you good in school or not?
1: When I wanted to be, I grew up in a, a tight knit, Competitive community like in, in a Detroit, flu, like in a flu, yeah, in a where,
2: where I know Detroit really well. Where's Bloomfield? Oh, okay,
1: yeah, and so there's a premium put on academic achievements and scholarship, and like becoming a doctor, a lawyer, a right businessman. And those were never, none of those were ever. I did want to be a doctor. And I had an my so my dad's a foot doctor and I knew I never wanted to do that. I was like, who gets to <laughs> being a foot doctor? That's like him pervert. But my uncle was an OBGYN And I, I was like, Oh, okay, that sounds <laughs> I, I could Sexy. I could get that. And there was this, there was this dancer for the bar mitzvahs, like that would get hired to to, you know, like get people dancing at the bar mitzvahs that I had a huge crush on, and I knew she was his patient. So I was like, I'm going to become a gynecologist (laughs) and I would go whenever I would see him, I would ask him about it. And he got sick of me asking about it. So he's like, you want to see the women who I really treat? And he would always (laughs) like point out my mom's grossest friends and be like, "He's one of my, she's one of my patients. She's one of my patients. And I'd be like, Mm -mm. all right, I'm I'm just going to sell weed and do comedy. So
2: uh, you went to you went to high school in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Did you go to college?
1: I did. I went to Indiana University.
2: No shit. That had a great music. That
1: really? Great- I I minored in music. And I, aside from like, seven chords do not on guitar, I do not play music.
2: Did you graduate? I did. So you got out of college? I mean, I guess you're doing some gigs during college? I I feel so- like Joe Rogan, <laughs> not, not that I'm a big fan of Joe Rogan, but he has these really, these these, his things go for like three hours. But there are some topics that I really dig that he's into. Um, so I tolerate some of the stuff he. he does. So
0: you're channeling right. your Joe Rogan questions right now?
2: No, I'm not. <laughs> just just just. You're doing about, good. No, I was just listening to myself. I go, wow, this 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 is what Joe Rogan does. He just kind of wings it. So after college, what happened?
1: So to go back, I, I started doing improv classes in Detroit during the summers at Second City. There used to be a Second City in Detroit. And I would do that and I came back in college and I did sketches and I took a production class where we made um, like a sketch show and a pilot. And I was like, I'm getting ready, I'm gonna move to New York or LA. I was gonna spend my whole spring break, senior year of college writing cover letters and sending out my resume to get an internship, which I've learned no one gets an internship that way. (laughs) But I met this woman at a bar. She was the rabbi on campus and her brother was the CEO of National Lampoon. No shit. She gave me his email. I emailed him and he offered me an internship. Wow. And when I got there, he's like, you look like Belushi. And within a you,
2: week. You do, yeah, I was going to say that you do look like Belushi.
1: It got me my first job in comedy. They you hired really me, look, Yeah. Yeah. To be an assistant. And I sucked at that. So I failed up to being uh, a writer, producer, and director there. What? Yeah.
0: How old were you?
1: 22.
0: Holy shit.
1: Yeah, but but for like, this was the early days of YouTube, so I was just like, and we had green screens, cameras, and editing equipment we could ever need. Wow. I was just like, had an idea for a video in the morning, we'd go shoot it in the afternoon, have it edited the next day. You know, that's- Wow. I was working- with a lot of comedy legends like Kato Kalin. Yeah, it, it was, it really was the dream. And then I worked something out with the CEO because I started working at the comedy store shortly after that. And I was like, hey, I'm working at the comedy store, I'm promoting the brand National Lampoon every night that I perform. But I'm there until like three, four in the morning. Is it cool if I just come in whenever? And he's like, as long as you get your work done <laughs> and no one's complaining about it, come in, come and go as you please. Whoa! Cool. So I had an incredible situation, but then I got laid off after like two year, two and a half years because uh, the company was going under. They were fraudulently hiking up the stock prices. To get people to invest. Whoa. Um, and they got caught doing that. Wow.
0: That's what ruined it. Fucking stocks. Yeah. That's so unfair.
1: Well, also the silent partner was running a Ponzi scheme and is in prison for life.
0: Sorry, when you said working at the comedy store, do you mean being a door guy? Or you were like actually passed at that yet? My place?
1: no, my first job there. So I started interning for Polly Shore while I was working at National Lampoon. Okay. So I would go from working, you know, like 8.30 until 6, 7 at night. And then I would go to Pauly Shore's and like pack up his merch and dictate his notes and like pick up Playboy Playmates from the airport. Oh my God. And then one day I was That's like... That's
0: still living the dream.
1: <laughs> I know, I know. But I was so like, so used to just... Dicking around that I that it like stressed me out, and the like the third day I was there, he's like, "Dude, you got to smile more next time."
0: Oh my god! I was
1: like, "I now I know how women feel." But after a while, like six months of doing that, I was like, "Can you get me a job at the comedy store?" And he got me a job there, digitizing all the old archives of all the Betamax and reel to reel and VHS tapes that they had. Whoa. 90% 90% of it was unwatchable because mm-hmm. comedy is contextual and, and very, um, like, of the time period.
0: Yeah. But there yeah. was some
1: really cool stuff in there.
0: Wow.
2: Contextual.
1: Yeah, like, this stuff was just, like, topical referential jokes. Like, oh, okay. one-liners and things like that that you would see. And things that, even if they did apply to today, the its influence is so stepped on like I would watch prior and I would find it really interesting and relevant, but I wouldn't find it funny because I grew up on Chris Rock who like yeah, took I mean, all that shit. And that was my first introduction to it.
2: You know what? Same here. When I watched Pryor, he I thought he was funny back in the 70s when I was watching him, but there was never at that was the the extent of the evolution of comedy. What you could do or or what you know and then Howard Stern started with his shock radio shows. And then Carlin came in and he started doing some more, more edier stuff or more relevant stuff.
1: Right. It's like, it's like I had friends growing up who were like, the Beatles aren't even that good. And I'm like, well, they are, but also like you don't think that because all the bands you do like. Stole what they invented. Exactly. Oh.
2: There's there's a a friend of mine. I'm, I'm in New Orleans right now, and there's a friend of mine who saw Earth, Wind and Fire at Jazz Fest a couple of years ago, and they are so they're so covered by every wedding mm-hmm. band and everything. When you see the real deal, it's it sounds like Earthwind and Fire, but you've heard it a million times. You know what I mean? From in wedding bands and all that stuff. Same with Michael McDonald, everybody was like trying to sound like him for a few years, but there was only one Michael right. McDonald.
1: Huh? It's so crazy that you were like in the mix with those guys.
2: I was, I wasn't, I wasn't. I mean, I, I, yeah.
1: Well, okay. I have a question. I have a question for you. So I'll see bills, like you know those posters, like the multicolored posters you see, and it'll be like the Blues Brothers and the Grateful Dead, or it'll be like George Carlin and the Rolling Stones. Like, did you ever work on a bill where there was a comedian back in the day?
2: Oh, did I play with the comic? Yeah, that's what the question was. Yes, I, I've actually played behind a comic for the comic. Really? Who? Phyllis Diller. Whoa. Tiny Tim.
1: Uh... uh Jesus, there was I didn't even a know few this. of them. Unlike what, like the Ed Sullivan or like
2: Dick No, no, no. I these were just did. club gigs, man. Like okay. And I wasn't even, I was in a house band uh and a lot of headliners would come in. And we were the house gig. I we were the house band for for this club, Joe Namath's club, Bachelor's Three. Wow. He had, a, he had a club in Lauderdale. And uh Peter Graves orchestra was the, the deal they were the orchestra that everybody came in there to name his club even when he played miami he you know I mean, he's in fort lauderdale so he'd be at the bar hanging out you know but yeah he he brought in a bunch of people that were funny uh oh, hold on one second i uh got it this guy's coming over uh all good uh, yeah hold on
0: Okay, so Bobby interrupts the podcast to take a phone call, and he's gone for a little bit. I kept recording, and then he comes back in and says, hey, Fred, or something, and we pick up here.
2: Beautiful. Is it the same stuff? You cool? Yeah.
0: You want to Are take we a watching a drug
2: deal go down <laughs> <Yeah>. in New <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Freddie, what's going to- on right now? Hey, Freddie, we want, want to be on a podcast?
0: You're really getting
2: okay it's no like, it's, uh... not, it's not a drug deal uh-huh. I get I get my vegetables from this uh, Japanese garden
0: uh, oh yeah and
2: yeah it's all
0: your green leaves
2: <laughs> it's from the 150 dollars an ounce
0: <laughs> it yeah, makes me not... it makes me sleep well the vegetables
1: <laughs> yeah makes me paranoid if I anyway um, what was your question? Well, I was just wondering, you know, your familiarity with like doing like performing with comedians Like, cause
0: for us when we do it with musicians, it never flows well. Did it how did they do it? And like how did it work having musicians on stage?
2: Well, we would play a song and then they would have little pieces of uh, like five or 10 minute cues, you know, when it comes on, comes off and then we'd sit there and I would do like some some. Uh, Tiny Tim, he was such a nice dude. He was such a nice person. Um, yeah, but those were headliners, right? They weren't opening up for uh, anybody. The only time, one of the times um, I was doing a gig, I forgot the guy's name, but he was funny. He was opening up for uh, Nancy and Frank Sinatra's for like a long time, but that's about it.
1: That's so cool. It's funny, like, you're a musician and you do sound engineering stuff, correct?
2: Right, yeah, I
1: try to. You did perform music in a house band alongside comedians, and your daughter became a comedian and is engaged to a sound engineer who's also-
0: (laughs) Okay, okay, what are you, my therapist? (laughs) all right. Well, thanks for coming no, on I'm our just, show. No, no, no. Sam. I'm just trying to, okay.
1: <laughs> no, it's true. I know a lot of your, your podcast, Nikki, is like your perspective on like, and as it should be, cause it's your podcast no, about, you know, like getting to know your dad and teaching him, you know, the ins and outs of having a relationship with his daughter. But I, I'm just trying to see it right now from his perspective, because we were talking about my podcast before. I started my podcast as a way to become a dad. And I I say this respectfully, not becoming like you, Bobby, because I I wanted to merge the world of like, keeping my identity and keeping my job and lifestyle while also being a very hands-on dad in my daughter's life. So right now I'm just, trying to like see this from your perspective, like you did this, you had this really cool life and this really cool career. And then you look back and your daughter is kind of like carving out her own path, doing her own thing, but it's kind of, you know, a little bit in the image of what you did. Are you proud of that? Like, how do you feel about that?
2: About Nicole doing
1: comedy? Yeah, and like, you know, taken up with a musician.
0: What he's saying, if he was a therapist, was I have mirrored your life. Like, I am dating a sound... Well, he also was a drummer, my boyfriend, who I will admit is my fiancé, because I have commitment issues. Uh, But he was a drummer, he's a sound engineer, and I'm a comedian. So he's saying, like, I'm mirroring kind of what you did and what is that like
1: mirroring but there's you know there's influence there's heavy influence you know that's gotta feel at least uh, somewhat redeeming no
2: life is so cyclical i mean i moved to la you know and did the la thing and and then nicole moved to new york and i remember new york is brutal as far as rent and you know, can't go hiking. The whole lifestyle is just not human friendly there. You know what I mean? A lot of concrete and it's hot in the summer. So when she came out and moved, it was I definitely it was just like the Twilight Zone. You know what I mean? And how time flies and you hear that all the time. How life is so short. But it when I was showing her around, I I remember it so well. Just being new to this city and and took me a while to get get grounded in that city for a bit you know Mm -hmm. and uh what blows me away the most out of everything is that the ability to go up in front of people and say the most outrageous stuff and be okay with it
1: but have you found it easier to reconnect and establish a relationship with her because of the familiarity with performing and your experiences with comedy and, and the things that she's reflected of your life.
2: Well, comedy, it doesn't, I don't, it's such a different thing. It's so, you're just so exposed. I mean, I was a drummer behind a band. I could never go out in front and sing. you know, I I just don't know how you do it. And I've seen Nicole's stuff. And some of it is just, you just can't care.
0: But do you think that it's easier to connect because now? Yes,
2: absolutely. Because I'll tell you what, if she if if Nicole was a doctor or an accountant or something, she'd been a whole different culture. Comedy is it's it's got its own people. And I think definitely there's there's a connection there. It it makes her think differently. It It makes her think more like a musician. And I think that Nicole would have been a really great singer or songwriter had we grown, you know, had I been around to show her some stuff, some basic stuff in the
1: beginning, you know what I mean?
0: I've been Nora Jones over here, but instead I am still renting a house. And,
1: uh, well, luckily she's really funny, but do you think it would have been harder to reconnect with her if you watched her and you're like cringing and being like, (laughs) yeah, I knew there was a good reason I wasn't in her life.
2: No, I, I never, I don't cringe. Like, Ooh, I can't believe she said that. It's like no, it almost means like if
0: I was really bad and you're like, "Ooh, that wasn't funny. Like how when I would try to sing when we recorded songs and you were like, "Ooh, you're not good at that <laughs> when I was flat and you were like, eh, uh-uh. he would have but- probably just walked away like you did.
2: No, but you weren't like that in the beginning. You weren't like that as a kid. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, no, but he's saying would it have been harder if I said, oh, now come and see my stand-up and I wasn't funny. Would you have a harder time reconnecting with me if I was really bad at it?
2: No, I don't think so. I mean, re- look, but when I first saw you compared to what I saw you like last year, yeah, the, the growth is unbelievable. And th- there were times when I was going, wow. And I was always trying to point out to you some stuff. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: He saw me when I was like uh, six months in and I did stand up in Oakland when Trump got elected that night. That was the first time he saw me to stand up. Wow.
2: Yeah. Was it?
0: Yeah. But I will say from, I know that was for my dad, but I will say from my perspective back to me, I'm an only child. I, I, think that it has helped us to connect because because my dad was successful and I admire that and I'm very much like you did it how do I do it when I'm depressed about the industry or when I'm self-conscious or anything like I don't ever call anybody and I never used to but I actually will call him because I'm like you're the only person that's that gets it and you succeeded so it's uh it's kind of like it's just inspiring and right,
2: right. Um,
0: it's not bullshit advice. It's not, you're so good. It's like, that's how it is. Um, this is how I did it. Or it's just like, yeah, fucking sucks. And it's just that kind of, you know, in comics, you can be like, oh, that audience, it's the same. There's thing. a
1: relatability and Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. a shorthand there mm-hmm. that like, if I talk to my dad about my career, he just gives me, advice that comes from having no firsthand knowledge and it just comes off as annoying. Yeah. But he's trying, which is nice, but at the same time, it's just like, maybe stay in your lane.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I,
2: I've done that. You know, I've, I've given really bad advice, really bad advice that I knew nothing about, you know what I mean? But, you know, when you say I'm, I was really successful, doing Broadway shows on the road, I don't consider that successful. I think it's just working. It was a job. It wasn't really being creative or,
1: you know, yeah, but you were part of like, I, an, I did a some legendary. Stuff. Band yeah, band band. Well, wait, that was,
2: yeah. I just don't think of myself as uh
1: yeah, but Bobby, I know, like, I know what you mean. Cause I don't think of myself as, as like a successful comic either, but like when you, Get into a field like entertainment and and be able
2: to, yeah, make, make, be able to make a living at it. That's, yeah, that's
1: successful.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, and you also, when you were my age, you were playing with some great people. So even though your life, uh, your career didn't end playing with the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I don't know why I named that band. That is not something that everyone... Because
1: you're in California and you're legally obliged to mention them if you're (laughs) going to mention (laughs) a rock band.
0: Which are going back on tour in 20... Anyways, my point is, like your career didn't end with a bang, but it began with a bang at like the best time of your life, it could happen. Would you want to be playing like with great bands when in your sixties? No, you got to do it in your thirties and explore and. fucking. Not only
1: that, but like, you got to think about what the, what the end game is for a rock and roll musician. Like you could be, you know, playing some like state fair with like, one original member of your band. And it's like, people are like eating corn dogs and like <laughs> nodding their head along, you know, like entertainment <laughs> broadly, but specifically rock and roll music is a young man's game. And it's like, you did it, you you did it well, and you got out and you still had a job behind the scenes where you were still making music. That's true. Do you feel like what you sacrificed in your family life was worthwhile given what you did in your career? No, I don't think so.
0: So, but it, here's here's what's interesting. I met a guy uh, that is a musician and he is a composer for film. And this is before we did the podcast or anything. I met him two years ago and he has a daughter and he said to me that he regrets his choice. He wishes that he did what my dad did and he always plays that in his head. So it's interesting because you might say that dad or whoever's listening and that is in that position and you guys are Mm -hmm. exactly, you guys are both coming from different places. Like both artists, you know, have to go on the road, but this guy wishes he didn't do that. Or he wishes that he went and like followed his career while having a kid and just following himself. So it's, you never know. You the know, grass is always greener.
2: It is. Yeah, and you just don't know how it works out, mm-hmm. you know, how it's going to work out. The circumstances in Toronto was a, a different. There were
1: a lot of regrets. Let's
2: just put it that way.
1: How did you end up there in Toronto?
2: Oh, man. Um, I was playing with a band called The Arrows. It was a band signed with A&M Records. And, uh, yeah, that's how I got up there. And then, did they call I,
0: you up though, or?
2: Well, Earl was in the Arrows, and I was on the road with Thurl and he w- came to L. A. and to mix their first record, I think. And uh, I met the, I, I met them, and they were mixing the record in L. A.
0: That makes sense.
2: How do you? What's your process of writing jokes? And have you ever studied the anatomy of a joke?
1: Like, <laughs> oh, no. uh Yeah, I mean, my joke writing comes out in the form of needing validation and, and being liked by people the way I am at my best in writing jokes is it just naturally coming out, talking to people that I want to like me. And, uh, I can sit down and tinker with ideas that have come out in those situations. That's usually like, I'll say something, Oh, I should write that down. I'll write that down. And then I'll take a bunch of those and rework that, and then I'll go on stage and figure it out there. In another situation where I'm hanging out with people that I want to like me, so I'm subconsciously motivated to be funny so that they will.
2: What happens if they don't? Or if you, are you are you messed up for a few days? Or is it- I'm messed up
1: until I get another chance to
0: Redeem yourself.
1: Go on stage and redeem myself. That's why I won't do any of these um, pandemic mutations of comedy shows, you know, where you're like on stage and people are in their cars and they honk if they think it's funny. (laughs) (laughs) I did one of those shows earlier on in the pandemic for a bunch of drunk people that were like 15 feet away from me. And I hated it. I was rusty, but I also just... Couldn't get a word in edgewise. And I was just like, well, now I just don't even have a chance to redeem this for another few weeks. Oh. And then I did another one. It was like in front of a big screen of people on Zoom, and that went well. And I was like, okay, not going to do a show again for a while. Wow. Yeah. So, if you bomb, that just sits with you until right. you have a chance to not bomb.
2: Oh my God.
1: I know what that's like.
2: Yeah. Um, and do, you ever, do you ever study things that are going on? Like there's one thing that's I find extremely funny and uh, that happens in commercials. It's just hilarious. And if somebody knew how to manipulate that truth into a joke, it would be hilarious. But the evolution of side effects of medications that they advertise on television, right? They used to say it really fast at the very end you know 20 years ago they would say the side effects very fast you could hardly even hear it now they say it with really pretty music lovely people and they're dancing and you know and you and it could cause death through constipation and all this other stuff and it's just (laughs) ridiculous i mean it's it goes on for literally 30 or 40 seconds of this guy telling you what could happen to your body
1: if you take this shit but one of one of my yeah. favorite vi- that I ever made at National Lampoon was like a five and a half minute video that was a commercial parody. There was a news story that people were flushing their expired medications down the toilet and that there were traces of medicines in the water stream because of it. So we made a yeah. medication parody video for just tap water. And it was like, it was like what you're talking about, but then it was like, Four and a half minutes of just the side effects of drinking tap water. There you go,
0: dad. Your joke came to fruition.
1: So I've I've had this epiphany in the pandemic. My wife works full time. She's a nurse practitioner. Wow. And when she comes home from work, she already is an early to bed, early to rise person. And I'm a late to bed person. And I don't have anyone else. I'm a very social person Uh most of the time. And so I'm dying for social interaction. She comes home and it's like maybe 30 minutes of social interaction after we've gotten the baby to bed. And then she falls asleep. And so I've learned that if I put on shows that she wants to to watch, rom-coms or reality TV, (laughs) she'll stay up later. So I've gotten myself into these shows. And I've noticed (laughs) specifically on reality TV shows, Every other commercial is for medications, but right, it's right. not so much the side effects I'm obsessed with anymore. It's just the names. Where do they come up with the fucking name? It's like TOLTS, Levenaquin, or like uh, Resultsy. <laughs> and I'm just like, I want to write a joke about like getting a job.
0: It's Resulta. Making up the names. It's Resulta.
2: Is that what you just said? <laughs> Oh yeah, the names. Where do they come up with the names?
1: I took Resulta. And it was inconclusive. Like what? Like what happens if that doesn't? Resulta doesn't work for you? Not providing the Resulta you were looking for. But like, <laughs> where? Who? Like, there has to be a marketing team that comes up with the name. But
0: because of the names, I don't even think it's marketing. I think it's the pharmacy. They're like, no, no, no. This is up to us.
1: It's got to be confusing. It's too, that name makes too much sense for what the medication does. Also, who do they think is watching these shows that need like all these autoimmune disorder medications?
0: Nurses that work all these hours and want to come home and watch rom-coms after they watch people die.
1: There you go. You figured
2: it out. Wait, what was the question?
1: Who's you know, who do they think is the audience for these shows? That this is all they advertise on there.
2: They're creating the audience, man. I mean, have you ever heard of Peroni's disease?
1: Oh. No, it's that.
2: <laughs> it's when your dick is too bent or curved. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> Peroni's disease. They're gonna look that motherfucker up. It's worth looking up because that's some. Somebody said, let's make up a a, a disorder that we could fix. They probably made up the drug first. They go, okay, let's give it to some people and see what changes. I'll make somebody's dick straight. Okay, that could be a disorder and we could make this medication to treat this disorder that's not a disorder.
0: Sounds like you're a bit defensive about this disease.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I I wouldn't want to change any of that.
1: (laughs) Peroni's disease. Jesus. everybody's what, unique for who they are right dad's out there works, listening
0: don't change your dicks just keep them as they well, are
1: it, it,
2: unless there's something wrong there
1: you know i mean right, unless it's going to cause discomfort or some sort of threat to your life then you know. or, or
2: complaining complaining will be the first sign like something's wrong right
1: you know what? If you have Peroni's disease, I think it's unfair to call it a disease or that's a true.
0: It is. It's like having a crooked nose and being like, "Oh, you have disease.
1: Right, right. It's like, you know, what if you have a like a curved or crooked penis? Guess what? There's probably a kinked or crooked <laughs> vagina or butthole out there for you that is just waiting to be found. It's
0: true.
2: That's that's the true meaning of soulmates. Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
2: It's, it's it's soulmates is like when you connect on a spiritual level and everything fits perfectly. And like a puzzle. It's a puzzle, perfect puzzle.
1: Yeah. Both literally and spiritual.
0: So if I cheat on my boyfriend, I'll just be like, "No, I was just trying to see if it would fit, if it was a good match." <laughs> So dad, Uh, do you, uh, (laughs) do you have any more questions? We can go back to the comedy questions, but do you have anything else you want to ask before I ask about his dad? You don't have to come up with that. Now you can think about it.
2: uh, Just one more question. Um, Have you written any, uh, I I did do a show in Toronto for a sports show. um, And I saw a whole like five or six comedians writing jokes as the show was about to start. They were in this group just going nuts. Have you ever done any of that kind of work where you're just brainstorming before a TV show and trying to come up with stuff?
1: In my experience, it's always like, you gotta come in cool and act like nothing's happening that's that important. Like in all my experiences like that, it's like, you kind of like all the work that you've done up until that point is the work. And then, you know, you go in and just kind of like, to get your mind at e- as much ease as you possibly can before you go and do it mm, right right
0: i'm taking my yeah. advice
1: I, I guess the best example i i recorded my album a little over a year ago uh-huh
0: do you want to say the I title drove, say the title so the we title can is it. daddy boy okay
1: and i had a friend come and shoot it and it was like if it turned out stellar it was just usually when you shoot a special or record an album. It's more than just one recording. It's like two shows right. at least. And right. I did the album recording over two shows, two different nights, but, or three shows. But um, the videotape was only going to be the one show, my one headlining night, and then the next night I was opening, I was featuring. And on my drive up to San Francisco, where, where I recorded at the Punchline, my father-in-law called me to, from his deathbed to say goodbye.
2: No. Wait, wait, I say that again? Who did?
1: My father, my wife's husband. He did what? He called me from his deathbed to say goodbye. His opening line was, you'll have to find someone else to get your comedy articles to read. Wow. Because he would always send me articles about like cancel culture or this interview with Jerry Seinfeld or Louis C.K. or whoever. Mm-hmm. And then we talked for like 15 minutes and he said his goodbyes. And I said mine. And I was just like, this was when I was like two hours outside of San Francisco. And I was just like, I was just like, so sad for my wife and for me and for him. And for, you know, it's just like, you think about mortality and my daughter was like a year and a half. And you think about saying goodbye to her. I'm getting emotional just thinking about it now. And I carried that with me in the performance. I was like discombobulated. And oh, 15 God. minutes in, I had to be like, oh, I just forgot the punchline to a joke I've said thousands of times. Can I just have a second to like take a deep breath and start over? And it like, I did, I had a fun show. I did like an hour and a half, but looking back at the footage, I was like, I can't put this out. Wow. I can use bits and pieces of it. I think if I like were to put it out, I could get like 40 minutes out of 90 that were that were like really good. Wow. But That's it wasn't lot. the ideal. And like part of the reason why is because I was like, I arrived at the club and I was like, all right. Because my plan was to listen to all my, all my sets that I had done preparing for it to figure out what I wanted to do in what order and all that. Mm-hmm. And instead I just ended up listening to like um, Jealous Guy by John Lennon on repeat and crying the whole oh way my
0: god!
1: instead of like doing the preparation. So I got there and I was just like, all right, now I got to focus up on, on what a, the, the task at hand is. And I like was doing all that tinkering and like brainstorming and like literally writing new jokes oh. for it. And, you know, I think that got in my head. And when I just settled into doing what I knew I was going to do, it Mm. went well
0: after that. Wow. That's a crazy story. Now, you got to, if more people knew that, we'd all be like, okay, can we see it now? Can we see the special? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like knowing that backstory and what's going on and like what you just went through, that's just like watching a movie.
1: Really? Yeah. Damn. And then, and then I like had to rush back after the weekend to fly to Michigan to like, he made it until we got to Michigan and then like a day later passed.
2: Oh God. When was that?
1: Um, last December.
2: Oh God.
1: Damn. Yeah. And then when I, when I arrived in Michigan, we were staying at my in-law's house and my mom picked us up from the airport and she took her shoes off at my, in-laws house and her socks were were like full of holes and i was very embarrassed <laughs> and i went out and i bought her a bunch of expensive socks that day because i was like i can't have you wearing these socks anymore oh man wow.
0: <gasps> okay wow that's the uh, one more part. question
2: yeah. one more question okay um you oh. ever heard of, have you ever seen the show uh barney miller
1: I'm aware of it. I kn- I remember it when it would come on as a kid. I would turn it off right away because it it had that like 70s style right aesthetic, the haircuts right. and the like the like it had like a gray tint to it or like a mm-hmm. like a yellowish tint to it. And any of those shows, I would be like kind of freaked out by and turn off right away.
2: Right, yeah. I never watched Barley Miller, but I know it was very uh
1: um. Very successful. You could ask about wait, the dad now. Wait, well, it re-ran what, a lot, so it must have been real successful. Why
0: did you want to ask about Barney Miller? You forgot?
1: You know what really intrigues me a lot
2: is uh, film, movie making, a TV show making, good shows. I find that the British, I love British television. But how it's done, how it's put together, you know, um, Nicole, I was,
0: no, I was thinking for a second cause I was just trying to figure out, but why, no, no, why Barney Miller? Did he come up on your screen or something?
2: No, I'll tell you why. Okay. And you can't tell if This is an idea okay. that I have.
0: Okay. I'm cutting it there. What is Bobby's great idea? I'm not going to share that on the podcast. That's some plagiarism shit. You guys can steal that idea. But if you do want to hear it and maybe steal it, I'm going to make you pay for it. It's on Patreon. I have posted that clip of his idea, which isn't bad. And we go into a lot more dialogue. So the missing puzzle to this episode is up on patreon.com slash Nikki Bond. And next week we will be hearing the story of Sandy's dad. I just wanted to give you the first half of our conversation, getting to know Sandy, Bobby, Sandy vibing, Sandy, getting things out of my dad that I didn't even get out of him. He played with Phyllis Diller. Like what dad? Okay. So next week will be a continuation of talks with Sandy and we will find out what happened, how he feels. Also, can we talk about how good of a dad Sandy is? God damn it. I haven't decided if I'm going to put it out next week or the week after. Maybe I need to be doing every other week because I don't know when the next episode is going to be recorded. Don't make me think about it. Stop asking. I'm now having a meltdown again. Okay, so for today's Bobby bit, this happened when his friend came over to deliver his magical vegetables from the Japanese garden. He said, hold on one second. He went on the phone. I cut all this out because it was... (laughs) painful. He got on the phone, me and Sandy kept recording. We were just talking shop about podcasting. And, you know, we got to the point of the conversation where Sandy was describing what he wants to do with his podcast and maybe pivoting. And my dad without us knowing comes back in and we pick up here.
1: I'm just figuring out, trying to figure out like what to, um, pivot to yeah we'll keep the podcast but like seamlessly transition to something that's like a little more broad so i'm not limiting myself to just parents and prospective parents yeah that's a
2: good idea that's
1: a uh, really good idea yeah thank you
2: what are we talking about
0: well okay. what's, the,
2: what's, the, what's the subject so i have a podcast he's <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just the, I left, a really supportive room.
0: guy